You are listening to Invest in the Future by Future Africa. Future Africa is a platform connecting mission-driven innovators and investors looking to turn Africa's most difficult challenges into global business opportunities. Please note that the content of this podcast is not to be regarded as investment advice. Okay. Hi, everyone. It's so great to have you all here today. You're fantastic and so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And I'm thinking, should I have gotten dressed up for this? But it's a pleasure to have you all here with us. Um, we'll be kicking off right now. I'll be simply making an intro, and then um, my colleague Danny would do the honors and, um, you know, moderate the session. And I'm really looking forward to uh, enjoying the conversation and learning from all of you really, really amazing women. Welcome everybody to today's episode of the Invest in the Future podcast. Future Africa is a platform that provides capital, coaching and community for mission-driven innovators, building an African future where prosperity and purpose are within everyone's reach. You can learn more about Future Africa at future.africa. Invest in the Future is our live fireside chat series where we learn from prolific investors who have invested in and built some of the world's most impactful technology companies. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Moderating this session is my colleague, Damilola Adirito, who is the operating partner at Future Africa. So I'll leave it to you, Damil. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Adenike, for that kind introduction. Um, as she mentioned, my name, you could call me Dami. Um, I'm the operating partner at Future Africa, and I'm happy to be here to moderate this session with this amazing smart ladies today. So, um, Sacha, could you do us the honors of starting by introducing yourself, you know, letting the audience know who you are, and we'll be going around all the panelists, one after the other, but we'll be starting with Sacha. Over to you, Sacha. Was always nerve-wracking to be the first person. Uh, proof of that was I was on mute, so um, you know. Uh, but you know, hopefully that'll be the only mistake I make so far. Um, but yeah, very very happy to be here with all these amazing women as well. My name's Sasha Hyder. I'm a principal at Global Ventures, which is an, a Middle East Africa-focused uh, venture capital firm. I'm British, Pakistani, and was raised in the Middle East. And I feel the need to bring up all three of those things because I think I come from all three of those cultures in, in distinct ways. Um, yeah, so I grew up in the Middle East, went to university in, in the UK, studied history. And, and I feel like I just need to mention that because I wanna show how far I've come from what I studied, perhaps some of the, the people listening to this. Um, and then started working at the private equity arm of Louis Vuitton in Singapore uh, just before I graduated. Um, and after that, moved across uh, to the Abraj Group Sub-Saharan Africa team, where I worked as part of sort of their large cap Africa fund. And we did fairly sizable investments around sort of the 20 to 70 million mark, so miles away from what I'm doing right now. After that, I moved to Mexico City where I worked as part of the LATAM deal team uh, for abroad and then for Colony Capital. Um, and I was there for three and a half years, uh, took a quick break um, and did, studied art history in Florence and then came back to, to VC um, in the Middle East and Africa, um, heading up Sub-Saharan Africa now for Global, as I mentioned. So that's the Thank you so much. 
<laughs> Thank you so much, Sacha. That was amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to hear that about you. And it's a very fascinating life journey. So um, Chirima, would you like to tell us um, a bit about you as well? Yeah, sure. Um, thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Um, my name is Chidema Iweke. I am a partner at Microtraction, which is an early stage investment fund here in, in Lagos, Nigeria. Um, my background is really odd. That's probably why I sit here today. I, um, I was born in, 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 in Nigeria, left here when I was around 10 years old uh, to Tennessee, Nashville, Tennessee. So studied, went to undergrad in Tennessee, studied nuclear engineering um, and graduated with my BS and a, and a minor in business. And then after, after that, I decided to go to medical school. Um, so I, I went to medical school, uh, became a medical school dropout two and a half years in, and then decided to focus on um, really trying to go get my MBA. So I took a job working with the Navy, um, designing power plants, going to submarines and aircraft carriers uh, for a bit, did that for about two and a half years, uh, and then accepted a, a position with uh, Columbia Business School. Um, while I was there, I also started a company, which was a software as a service platform uh, for dentists. Uh, so I ran business development strategy for, for, that, that, for that business. Eventually, the business failed. So I found myself at a place post-MBA um, looking for what I'm going to do next. So I decided to go on Wall Street uh, to work in finance. Um, so I started work with... Uh, uh, Bank of America Merrill Lynch, uh, worked in equity research, covering um, healthcare facilities and managed care for them. Um, I did that for about three years um, and then um, decided that I wanted to do work that allowed me to use all my muscles per se. Uh, at that point, I had an engineering background, also had a medical background, also had um, at that point, finance experience and also kind of like entrepreneurship experience. So um, I decided to, where, I started asking my, myself a question of like, what, what field would allow me to flex all these muscles at the same time? Uh, and VC was that field. So, and then I wanted to do work that was impactful to my own people. So it started, I started looking at positions in emerging markets. Um, and then I decided like Nigeria became one of the focus because I'm from here, I speak the language. I just felt like it was just like a very good balance of everything that I was looking for. So I moved back to Nigeria in 2018, uh, worked essentially in venture capital um, since then. And I'm now at, at Microtraction as a partner. So I've been almost, I've done almost everything but law. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> I think from your story, like the thing missing is being telling me you're not a professor because you have like every other thing but being a professor. <laughs> but that's, that's really beautiful. And it's a very um, beautiful journey of you being through. Um, Harry, the quiet one. Do you mind introducing yourself, please? <laughs> Hello, everyone. Um, so my name is. Uh... My name is Harriet Idinkra. I'm an investment analyst with 4DX Ventures. Uh, 4DX Ventures is an early stage Africa-focused venture capital firm. Um, at 4DX, I, uh, I handle sourcing, due diligence, and I work very closely with early stage companies. My educational background is in accounting. So I went to the University of Ghana Business School 
um, studied business administration, graduated in 2017, after which I did my mandatory national service for Zenith Bank Ghana Limited, working in the Treasury Operations Department, and then made the transition into the world of venture capital. I've been with the firm since September 2018, initially as an intern, and um, now occupying the role of investor. Thank you very much, yeah. and thanks for, for having me. It's a pleasure having you here. Thank you very much for honoring us. Um, Nina, thank you. It's your turn now. Thank you, Dami. It's really a privilege to be here and to hear everyone's stories. Um, incredible journeys. It sounds like everyone's had to venture capital. So I'm calling, I'm calling in from Cape Town. Um, I am part of the investment team at Raba Partnership. We invest in early stage technology startups across the continent. And my journey to Cape Town has been a little bit all around the world. So I was, I was born in China and my family moved to Canada when I was six. So I spent most of my childhood growing up between Canada and, and China. And this was kind of during the stages when China was really taking off. I remember as a kid, you know, going back to China every few years and seeing the land around my grandparents kind of house transform from farmland into highways into skyscrapers. And so growing up, I'd always been really interested in I guess in emerging markets broadly. Um, I ended up going to school in the States and studied politics, philosophy, economics, and immediately after that went into consulting. And at one point kind of had a whole life planned out where I'd signed a private equity offer, was gonna stay in New York and had a whole life kind of mapped out for myself. But um, in my third year of consulting, happened to do a project in Zambia with the Gates Foundation and the Chinese government. And while I was in Zambia, kind of stumbled upon the, the entrepreneurial ecosystem in Zambia and Kenya and South Africa. And I was just completely blown away by the quality of founders, not kind of the scale of problems they were trying to solve. As you know, friends in the US were working on subscription box companies, people I met in Zambia and Kenya were trying to tackle massive macroeconomic problems. So um, in about 2018, I packed up all my stuff from New York and moved to Zambia to join a startup. And I joined a fish farm um, based just outside of Lusaka. And for a year or so there, um, helped them with strategy, with fundraising, and just wanted to get my hands dirty kind of in, in startups. After that, moved up to Kenya and worked with the African Leadership Group leading strategy and growth for them um, when they were launching ALX. And from those two experiences, I realized how much fun it was to scale companies and work with visionary founders. And so thought, what better way to do that than to kind of flip over to the other side and work in BC where you get to work with a broad scale of founders. And so that led me to Cape Town in last year because I moved in the middle of lockdown and I've been investing with Raba since then. It's, I think this is going to be a very interesting session because we have ladies from diverse backgrounds and coming from different fields we have um, a medical doctor in, who was in the making actually here so we'll be seeing and listening to um, you know, advice and um, stories from different perspectives so um, i'm really happy to be moderating this and it's I'm, I'm so excited to have everyone here all right so we'll be going to our first session and um it's just more of um, understanding how our careers in venture capital started. So I would have loved to start with Sacha, but um, I hope she's not muted again. So this time I'll go with Chidima. So I, I'd like to know Chidima, what would you say was a significant change that fueled your interest in venture capitalism? 
Um, for me, um, specifically, it was just really, for me, it was the drive to utilize all of my skill sets, right? Um, what you realize is there's a lot of career paths that, you know, you can take. Um, and oftentimes, depending on your personality type, right, um, you may be the, the type of person that kind of like wants to focus on one thing and do that and, and just like focus on that and do it and do it for the next like two weeks. And then you like close it out and then I focus on the next thing and do it and do it for a lengthy amount of time. Um, and it could be your personality. It might be the, the way that you work best. And you know, if it is, then there are you know career positions um, for you in that sense. But to me, venture capital is very much each day is really, really different. You really wake up and you you're not you don't know what you're gonna like kind of come across. Every single day brings its own like ups and downs, you know, like challenges and and the unknown. Like if you're comfortable in that unknown, and if you're comfortable in that kind of like level of change, then this is a great place for you, right? And then also, um, I think I think uh, Nina kind of mentioned it a little bit, is this, this kind of like idea of being able to kind of like put your hands across multiple, multiple things. Um, you can, when you, if you have a, a, a company, like you have a portfolio of companies, right? It's not just one company, you're interacting with multiple founders. And they're all in mostly different fields. Um, for us specifically, we're sector agnostic. So I'm learning so much on a daily basis that it's insane. You can't really, this type of kind of like education, you're not, you can't really pay for it elsewhere, right? Experience is probably one of the best ways to get, um, to build your skills. So you have access to almost like, it's almost like having access to experts every single day they these founders know their their field in and out they are more than happy to talk to you because you've given them money <laughs> it sounds really weird but you literally can learn so much from them and your skills you get to develop them in a very very unique way you get to develop them almost as you choose and that's a very different kind of like pace it's a, it's a very different place to be for an individual being able to essentially mold yourself with the help of experts around you. That's a very, very, to me, that's super intriguing. Um, it makes my day, I'm, I get very bored easily. I've done a lot of different things. So you can tell like, after I, I accomplish something, I, I like to go and, you know, get a, start up a new challenge. So in venture capital, every day is different. Challenges come every other, you know, like it's just, it's so much that you can put your hands in. You can never, ever, ever get bored. So if you're one of those people that get bored easily with doing one task, this is such a great field to be in because you're just exposed to so much and you get to interact with so many different minds um, and you get to interact with so many different people from all aspects, from investors to founders, um, to understanding businesses better. If you want to look, you can do finance with it if you want. You can become, go deeper into a particular sector or field if you want. So, so that's really what's exciting about it. It's just like this kind of like being in this place um, where you get to just grab as much information and knowledge as you want. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I think I have a lot to learn <laughs> in this space because we all exist here. And trust me, I know what you mean when you say it's a roller coaster. It is. It's like a hydra, different heads every day. 
and you caught one, another one comes up. So I totally get you. Thank you so much. So Sacha, coming from your beautiful background and the interesting story you gave us when we started this discussion and when you introduced yourself, I'd like to know, how did your career in venture capital begin? What steps did you take? So I've been a career, I've been an investor my whole career. But I, I have to say that I sort of fell into venture. I, and it literally happened like meeting someone in a coffee shop, which is sort of a weird story to tell. But I was basically like, and I'll just say this quite frankly, doing nothing. I came, I sort of quit my job. I, I'd been to school again. And then I was like basically doing nothing. Um, and I was thinking about getting back into PE, but I wasn't sure that I was ready for that kind of, you know, um, male dominated environment where I was the only girl on a deal team sort of fighting up battle to sort of just have my voice heard and I was kind of like I don't know if I want to put myself through the emotional trauma of that again um, and then I just yeah I was back in the UAE and I happened to uh, meet my my current GP at, at, at Global Noura Swade for a coffee and, and 20 minutes into the conversation she goes do you want to work for me and I literally hadn't thought about it I hadn't really considered it she was sort of introduced to me as this person who's going to connect me to other people and I just had this moment when she said that where I feel like I just I, I feel like that kind of stuff just doesn't happen right I was like is this real life I was like do people still get jobs like this where like they meet around in person in a coffee shop and then they get offered a job I was like I know I have the skills for it but it just felt so weird um and then sort of I kind of started working and it was kind of like yeah I'll try this out for like you know a bit um, and it's, you know, been, it's almost like a year and a bit later and, you know, I'm I've sort of hit the ground running and, and sort of opening a new market for the firm. So I guess it was sort of, um, I'm not sure like serendipitous, um, but I think that, that, you know, I'll sort of echo, uh, I'll echo what was just said in terms of, you know, it's an unstructured environment. And I think that people need to find reward in structuring sort of, you know, their own days. Um, they need to find reward in doing different things. I will say that I do definitely have some, you know, um, some like, you know, self-esteem crisis <laughs> by dealing with so many geniuses every day, because I'm kind of like, why don't I know anything in depth? I just know like a lot of things, you know, very sort of high level. And so it's like, you speak to someone who just like happens to know a lot about, you know, healthcare data and how that's used and how pharma companies use it. And it's awesome to be able to, to sort of learn from that. But at the same time, I, I often have these moments where I'm just like, oh my God, I don't know anything. Like, what do I know about? I know about investing. I know like five things about like five different industries. Um, so, so yeah, to, to, to be honest, it was certainly an accident, but I'm, it was a very happy accident. Um, yeah. Awesome. I like, I like accidents like that. <laughs> Those are the kind of accidents we always like interesting accidents. Um, so um, going on to Harriet, I liked, um, I'd like to ask you, would you like, what would you say was a significant change that fueled your interest in venture capital? Have you always been interested in venture capital or did something happen? Did you have an accident like Sacha or did, did something different happen? Did you just fall on it? Yeah. Um, Thanks for the question. I think interesting, it was also sort of an accident. And my first meeting with the general partner was also in a coffee shop. So quite a relatable story this year. Um, so my, I'm Ghanaian born and raised. And as I mentioned, I graduated from business school, went into banking. My initial plan was I was going to be an auditor. So I was going to do certifications, get into one of the big four, become a partner, uh, you know, that was my dream. 
Um, unfortunately, I didn't end up in any of the big four uh, 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 for internships. And so I was like, okay, I'm in banking now, working in one of the biggest banks in the country. I would create a career here. So I had my eyes set on staying in Zenith Bank until I worked for a year and I realized that there wasn't a lot of, like, I loved banking, but then I felt like I could learn a bit more. I could learn a bit more. So I called my friend who was currently working at a startup. She was always going on and on about all the interesting things she's learning, how fast paced it is. And I'm like, listen, I, um, I'm thinking of exploring opportunities. Um, if you hear of anything, you just let me know. Quite coincidentally, uh, uh, one of the invest investors in her uh, company was 40X Ventures. So it was like, listen, one of the partners is in town and she's, um, sorry, he's looking for a fund manager is what she said. <laughs> And I was like, fund manager. I don't know if I qualify, but I'll meet this guy. I, I, want to, I want to know what's about. I had zero idea what venture capital was. I didn't know anything about Silicon Valley. I didn't know anything about tech. And after like a long conversation with the, with the general partner, Walter, he said, listen, I'm going to give you a bunch of things to read. Um, let's see, grade yourself on these three buckets and then come back to me and let's have a conversation. So I took, it was, I took a link to a library of information, which is like a lot of articles and videos. And at, the more I read, the more intrigued I was. I was like, okay, I want to do this. I know it's risky. Probably don't know what this firm is about, but I want to take this risk. I want to be a part of this. And I want to see what happened in Silicon Valley, happened in Africa. I want to have a front row seat to what happened. And this was in 2017. So yeah, I joined the firm and I've been with the company. I've been with the firm since, since 2018 uh, up until now. So it was purely by accident and I had no idea what I, I had no idea what I was getting myself into, um, but it is an accident that I'm, I'm, I'm glad happened and a risk I'm really, really, really happy I took at the time. Awesome. It seems that we have so many accidents going on. <laughs> I think maybe Chidima can reconsider becoming a doctor so she can help out in these accidents. <laughs> so Nina, you had a very um, beautiful background and journey. I'd like to know from your experience, how are you able to start a non-traditional career in venture capital? Yeah, that's a really great question because I think until I started in VC, I was entirely in operations and didn't have much of a finance background at all. And the way I got into it, and I think to me, this is actually the, one of the cruxes of venture capital I've come to appreciate is it's about kind of the networks and the connectivity of networks. So I was in Kenya prior to this and was working in African leadership group, kind of getting to know lots of different founders, different investors kind of in that ecosystem broadly. And I didn't know from the outset that I wanted to go into venture capital, but you know, as my thinking started to shift and I started, started thinking about, okay, you know, this space seems just like really, really interesting. These are people who get to talk to founders all day, learn interesting things and figure out what makes the company investable, I think I want to get into this field. And as I started exploring this, I started just kind of asking all of my friends who are founders, asking them, you know, who are some of the investors that you've worked with that you admire the most? And a couple of friends said, you know, you should really speak to George. He started this fund in Raba. It's doing great things. You should talk to him. And it, there was no formal process. Um, again, this was in the middle of COVID. I remember we hopped on the phone, chatted a little bit, and I kind of said, yeah, you know, I'm exploring VC, would be really interested in learning more. And we just had a series of conversations for, for months. Um, the crazy thing is we never, so I, I'm the, I doubled our headcount when I joined. Um, George had started this fund about two years ago and it was him operating it. And we just started chatting more and more and it kind of sounded, we're like, 
yeah, you know, this could be, this could be a great fit. But the crazy thing was I never, we never actually met until I moved to Cape Town to work at the fund. Um, so it really was just kind of this, I guess, very organic process of talking to different, um, different BC funds, getting a sense of kind of what worked. And it was all, it all came down to the network in the end. Wow. Wow, another accident, beautiful. So, but this is more of a creative accident. So I like to know Chidima, have you had any unique challenges, you know, in the venture capital space? Have you faced any unique challenges in venture capital since you started your career there? Um, the answer is obviously yes. Uh, I'm now just trying to figure out which challenge. I've had personal challenges, obviously. And I've also had, um, you know, challenges that we face um, as an investor inside of a company that, you know, kind of had a snafu, right? Where you're you, you wake up and Twitter starts going crazy. And then you realize that there is an issue with one of your companies that you need to kind of like put out a fire on. And it's a Friday. And the next time you blink, it's like Tuesday, right? Because you've been working like mad for over the, <laughs> over the last 72x hours, right? Um, trying to put out fires. So the answer is yes. Um, I've had challenges. Uh, lucky enough, they are challenges that I have been able to overcome. Um, some with the, you know, to be to be quite frank, a lot of the challenges that I've been faced with, I've been able to overcome with help. Um, and I'll say that because I think it's really important. Um, when it comes to personal challenges, it's always great to have people that are your support system, right? That that believe in you as an individual and what you're capable of and people that you can always have their ear, right? And that will give you unbiased kind of view on, on what is going on and, and actually try their best to kind of advise you and help you out of uh, whatever sticky spot that you find yourself in. So I, as a female, you know, I've been very lucky to have other females that I've been able to kind of um, stand on their shoulders, right? And um, these are people that have experiences within this field for a very long time. And these are, some of them are people that are, you know, my juniors um, that have been able to step up and help um, where necessary. So, so definitely that's one. Um, when it comes to the challenges that we face with some of our portfolio companies, when that happens, uh, it's definitely a, it's important that I know, I know, no, I think isn't Nina. Yeah. Nina just mentioned, I think she doubled her team. So it was a one man team. She joined the team and then like they became a two, a two person kind of force. Right. So it's really important to, to kind of join a team that you really like. You spend, we spend a lot of time with these people. Like we, I mean, to be quite frank, I work a lot. And so does everyone else here. I'm sure there is, this is not a normal nine to five. So we all work a lot. And when, because you're working a lot, you're, you're seeing these people and they will be your team members all the time. They, you see them more than your most likely, you probably see them more than your spouse to be really honest or your partner to be really frank because you literally are working maybe 10 you know, to 14 hour days at times. So, so it's really important to make sure that you are, 
um, in a team that you kind of are aligned with as far as like the vision, where you guys are going as a group, you know, what you're trying to do and the things, the change that you're trying to make in the world, whatever that is, whatever that core foundation is, it's really important that you, you, you have a team that you are 100% aligned with. A lot of the snafus that I've gotten into when I moved to Lagos was because the team was not aligned. So I've had like two incidences where the team was not aligned and that was a disaster. So it's always important to make sure that you are just kind of like in this with people that see it the same way that you do. You guys are moving as one. When things go bad, it's, it's everyone, you know, puts, it's all hands on deck. When things are great, you have people around you that you're celebrating with. So that's really, really important. But yes, the, the short answer is yes, but I don't want to go into super, super detail because it might be a little too much. <laughs> I guess I guess we don't have unique challenges. We have challenges that you see every day. So mm -hmm. since um, Nina has been referenced from your conversation, I'll throw the next question to her. What are the biggest challenges you see today in the venture capital space? So not necessarily in your day-to-day or you know challenge or holes or gaps you see in the venture capital space yeah oh that's a big that's a big question um I'll, I'll i think i'll start and then i'll kick it off to someone to add on i think one thing that i one thing i've seen a lot of is you know when i think about the ingredients that a company needs to grow i think it often boils down very broadly to two two main things you need financial capital and you need human capital and often I find that when we, when we come in and close a big round, you know, with an early stage company, we solve the first ingredient for them immediately. You know, we've brought in capital, our capital, outside capital, et cetera. And they've now got this little kind of war chest to go after problems with. But then immediately after that, as they enter the stage of hyper growth, um, they start scrambling for talent. And we know that talent exists on the continent. Like we're absolutely certain of it. But for every single one of our portfolio companies, as they reach a certain stage of growth, there's just like a gap in, you know, you've exhausted your personal networks. You know all the great devs that you worked with and the great strategists that you worked with. And all of our companies at some stage struggle with, the, um, I think, with this challenge of how do you find incredible talent that, you know, wasn't in your home market that might require you to go, you know, from South Africa to Nigeria or from, you know, Kenya to Ghana. How do you find that fantastic talent to, have, to help you actually grow, grow your business? I think that's one of the kind of the more universal challenges we've seen across the companies, regardless of which sector they're in. And it's partially because it's so spiky, right? You close the round of fundraising and then you immediately need to hire 10 engineers. And it's just so difficult to, to kind of find out. It's a very messy and kind of opaque marketplace. Great, thank you so much. Um, so we'll be going into our next session and we'll be having more of like a deep dive as to why we're here. We're here because we wanna see more women included in the venture capital space. Um, so our next session will be more about how women can be, how we can have more women as investors in the VC space and how the VC model should be changing to make it more inclusive. You know, So now I will start with Sacha, right? And I'd, I'd like to know, how, how can we spot more, like how can women spot business opportunities for scale and build scalable startups out of those opportunities? Oh, so I think that like the one, the, the question you asked before is quite a big question. 
I think that, you know, there's less of the onus. I think, I don't think that there's a lack of women solving scalable problems. I think there's a, like a lack of investment. I think that there's a lack of support for the women who are doing it. And often sort of, that's why we see male, their male counterparts who are solving similar problems or the same problems sort of get a bit further in their entrepreneurial journey. Um, so I, I'll bring it back to sort of like, you know, us as investors and how we, how we look for companies. And one of the sort of key metrics get, that gets thrown around um, for us, so, so Global Ventures is a predominantly female um, firm. So majority of the firm is female. We have a female GP, uh, two out of the, the four principals is, is are females uh, and almost all the analysts are female on our team. So we're a very female heavy team. And so, you know, we, we actively seek out women and, and female empowerment and supporting female entrepreneurs is a very sort of, you know, um, a very important part of what we do. Um, and so one of the things or one of the questions we often have because we're series A investors is, how many women are in the pipeline today, right? And it's often such a few, um, like so few, uh, we really struggle to, to find female founders who sort of reach the Series A stage. And so that sort of forced us to look and say like, well, where are the gaps earlier on um, in the funding for these females and sort of the coaching and the support they're getting? And, you know, even though our thesis is very much backing growth stage founders, how do we start to sort of coach and support female founders especially in places like Sub-Saharan Africa and the Middle East, where, you know, there's, there's different sort of cultural contexts that might prevent females from sort of going down the entrepreneurial path. Um, and we found that actually, like, you know, where, where, where some of the, the, their male counterparts have these sort of very strong social networks or have worked in industries which very easily lend themselves to sort of raising capital or to knowing people, um, there's really like a dearth in terms of how um, they navigate the space and how, you know, who these women know who can support them or, you know, how well educated they can be. So I think that there's like a few things that, that we can do um, on the other side, which is one sort of creating more resources that are publicly available to encouraging um, sort of support and coaching as investors for female founders. So one of the things that, that I do is even though we don't invest at seed stage, I'll start speaking to female founders at the seed stage and then setting up sort of um, sort of every two months catch ups with them to sort of support them through their journey. And we're not in, in most of these situations, we're not even going to invest in these guys for the next like, you know, two years into their journey. Um, but I figured that if I don't start to do something to help them um, along their way, then then, you know, I'm, I'm part of the problem. Right. So I, I start I, I sort of flipped the question back on itself in terms of I don't think that that women aren't um, solving sort of scalable problems. I think they're not getting the support they need to scale. Um, and I think that as the investor community, we should take a bit of responsibility for that and try to champion diversity a bit more in our portfolios. Awesome. Thank you so much. That was very, that was very liberating to hear. Yeah. So, um, I'd like to know, Chidima, where do you, like, where do the opportunities exist to increase the number of female founded and funded companies? Where would you say these opportunities exist? Um, I really think, you know, when you look at kind of like the, the funnel, right? The, the investment funnel, like, like she said, they're in series, they're series A investors. Um, but before you get to the series A stage, you, you, you have to have kind of started something in your basement, 
gotten somebody to you know give you a little bit of support that support can come in the form of capital or it can come in the form of just like spending time talking strategy etc cetera, etc cetera. so you then go through a seed round like a pre-seed round that's that's super early right and then you now go into the seed round and then before you even get to her is that series a round so i think the opportunity to kind of increase um and support female founders is at the very beginning. We need to kind of like increase that funnel, right? So for me and Harriet, both of us are very early stage and, and we do a lot of micro traction to try and support. And as Sasha said, it's, it's our onus, it's on us as investors to make sure that we put in, I would say, um, that we put in kind of like um, processes and and we put goals that align with increasing the number of female founded startups within our portfolios. Um, so that's something that we have done. Uh, we we at Microtraction must have at least thirty percent of our companies or portfolios be female founded or or at least have a female in the top executive kind of like positions of these companies. So if we don't start early enough, we're not going to be able to, to kind of see them get to the series A, series B, become that unicorn that all these other companies, uh, you know, all these other male founded companies get a, better, a, a chance of doing. So there's an opportunity there, just like as investors being, being cognizant of the fact that you want to make sure that there is gender balance in your in your uh, portfolio, the, the portfolios within your the companies within your portfolio. I think the other end of it is also on having, because it's easier to as the reason the this this field is mostly male dominated and that the male our male counterparts tend to get more support than female counterparts is because when they when they sit down and they're doing their pitch, they're essentially most most of them are doing a pitch to another male, right? A male investor. So I think if we can increase the number of females that sit across from our female founders, we are able to understand their businesses a lot better. We are able to kind of like understand the way that they work, right? We, we have a little finesse. There's a bit of finesse in which we as females operate. And it's really us that really understand each other better we tend to be able to understand each other better than the male counterpart would understand why a female would, you know, say, um, when you ask us, because generally females, we tend to cut, like, we want to cut 10 times, you know, we, we want to actually not cut 10 times, but we want to like measure 10 times and cut once, right? We like to be extremely prescriptive. We don't want to say that we can do something unless we are sure that we can do it. These are all things that we understand about ourselves. So it's really important that when we're sitting across the table from a founder that is a female founder and they do a pause, it's not because they're uncertain about what they're trying to kind of like the answer that they want to give you. It's more so that they're being super prescriptive. They're thinking about it. They're mulling it over. So, so that pause, maybe a male counterpart would interpret it as a weakness or, or uncertainty or not understanding their business enough. Whereas us as females would interpret it as, okay, so she's, she's really trying to make sure she gives me an answer that makes sense for her. So I think there's an opportunity on the investor side to increase the number of females that are investors. That way, those females are able to uh, support and back other female founders. 
And then there's an opportunity on the startup side also to increase that. And I, and I think it's also pushing STEM, you know, pushing these, um, these kind of uh, 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 unorthodox kind of, uh, I, I would say, pro professions, because it's, it's generally male dominated, right? Uh, it's not the typical secretary role. It's not the typical, some of these typical things that they, that people, the society tends to like females to be in. So it's just like really kind of building awareness around that and trying to kind of like get people to say, you know what, I want to be, don't say that you want to be a nurse. I want you to say that you want to be a doctor, right? Um, you, that, that type of just like energy, us being out here really putting ourselves out here, sitting here, having these conversations, showing you about our background, showing you that no matter what you've done, you can come into this field. That kind of stuff is what really helps this cause. So uh, I think I'll stop there. Thank you so much, Chirima. In fact, your explanation answered two of my questions because okay. I was gonna ask what women can do, right? To be more involved in the venture capital space. So I don't know if Nina has some additional thoughts on what women can do to also be involved in the venture capital space, be more included. What are, what are the things we can do as women? Yeah, I think these are some really, really great points have been raised. I would add perhaps, I think two things. Um, one is, there's, I think there's a lot that's been talked about kind of in the formal sector around VC, but a huge aspect I think of what I've seen in venture capital is also the informal side in terms of at dinner tables, who's seated around the table, what are we talking about? Um, you know, a few, a few weeks ago, I was at a friend's dinner and found out kind of randomly that a few of the women at the table were all entrepreneurs. And they found out I was an investor. And we had this one kind of aha moment around, you know, is this what guys have felt like for, for decades and centuries? Like we all exchanged numbers, made plans to grab coffee afterwards and thought about ways to collaborate. And it got me thinking about how, you know, those informal meetings are so important, like creating spaces for that, whether it's monthly meetups with women that you admire kind of in your city or around the world but creating that connectivity where you can bounce ideas off each other, you know, practice pitches, come up with, you know, potentially pitch to each other. There's so many, you know, I think it was crazy to me that that felt like a new experience when it shouldn't have. So I think that one aspect of this is creating the space for this socially and informally, because I think from my experiences in VC, you know, so many of the founders that we hear pitches from or that kind of come into our deal flow are from friends of friends of friends of friends. It's a very kind of social, the funnel itself is a very kind of socially based one. The, the second thing I would add in terms of getting more women involved in VC is actually looking at the, at the operation side and the entrepreneur side. I think, you know, people flipping, flip flopping back and forth between the operation side, starting companies and becoming investors, angel investors, and going back into the entrepreneurial side, you know, people kind of make those moves all the time. And because historically we've seen many more male founded companies, I think that, that partially, you know, when someone exits the company, they have a lot more capital and they can afford to become an investor. I think that partially explains why there are more men in VC today. So I think, you know, when it comes to what we can do, I think there's just lots of different angles that we can tackle the problem from. And one of those comes from the operation side in terms of, you know, more women becoming co-founders, becoming executives, starting companies, scaling those companies, exiting them, and then, you know, becoming investors as well. So I would say it's, yeah, it's on the operation side and doing more on the informal sector, on the awesome. informal side. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for that um, additional point. We'll put that down as well. That was so enlightening. Thank you, Chirima. Thank you, Nina. And thank you, Sacha. So lastly to Harriet in this session, I'd like to know, how do you think men who are in the majority play a pivotal role in the inclusion of women in venture capital? 
Well, that um, that's an interesting question. I think that a lot of a lot of the times, um, from from where I sit, actually, um, two of my GPs are men, and they are very actively hiring women. So we have we are four man team. Um, I'm a woman, and the associate who sits in 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 uh, in Cairo is also a woman. So I think that from an investment point of view, um, a lot of the the narrative around venture capital being a bro space is catching on. And I've seen, like, if you look at the panelists here, um, it looks like everybody on the team is making a conscious effort to involve women on the investment side. And if that trend is going to continue, it would really help, you know, change that narrative because guess what? From an analyst, you'd probably move into an associate to a principal and the next generation of, of VCs is going to be more um, female dominated if this trend continues, right? Um, what Nina mentioned is also like really important. Uh, women uh, 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 taking operational roles, executive roles, switching to the investor side, starting up as angels, raising their own funds at some point uh, uh, would also help uh, change the narrative around you know women uh, um, in VC. I think that we are on a track of of, of, of pushing this, you know, across social media. It's, it's something that Silicon Valley has been really uh, uh, pushed a lot on, which is get more women uh, involved in decision-making, fund more women. And I'm seeing things like female focus funds, you know, being set up by women. These are all really interesting trends that I think can continue. Um, the only thing that I feel men can actually do is to, make sure that when um, when they are hiring, regardless of their position, whether it be it on the entrepreneur side or the VC side, the hiring should be conscious in involving uh, and, and, and recruiting women on both sides. Um, and additionally, if it, it really helps to have um, sort of like men take that mentorship role, right? Because if, if I look back at the base at which I started from, like my my, my colleague Walter took a very active role in helping me get where I am. And that also needs to be something that, you know, men can do. Like you can hire, uh, you can hire actively, consciously uh, female candidates and then train them, mentor them to get them to like a position where they are able to sort of start a whole, you know, be a fund or whatever vehicle it is, a company, whatever it is that would support or exist in the venture capital ecosystem. So. Yeah, I think those are kind of some of the ways that um, um, we can keep these trends going. Thank you very much, Harriet. Thank you for that time. So um, before we go to our next session, I'd just like to tell the audience, please feel free to drop in questions in the Q&A box. We'd love to see your questions. We'd love to give you responses. There'll be a Q&A session after we're done with all our sessions, but in the interim, please feel free to drop in whatever questions you might have, right? I hope I'm not frozen again. <laughs> Okay, so we'll be going to our next session, and this is more about deal flow and finding great startups. I really do hope we have entrepreneurs, female entrepreneurs in the particip as participants, so they can take one or two out of this um, conversation. We'll be talking about deal flow and how you find great startups, what you look for in startups, um, advice you can give um, upcoming entrepreneurs. Um, and how you think they can um, position themselves, right, to be better considered by VCs. All right, so Sacha, starting with you again, as a VC, what do you look out for in a company? 
what are what are the peculiarities? What are the things you look out for in a company? Yeah, so I think that you know we have the sort of five point framework, which is seems like you know a little bit formulaic at times, but it's a really easy way for us to sort of like screen companies and and look at them. And that's when we're speaking to someone for thirty minutes to forty five minutes, trying to use like you know as much data as possible uh, from that conversation to figure out what we feel um, about a company or you know where we think um, the opportunity is. And that's firstly the team. So the team, and this is like, this is an order of importance and how heavily we weight these things. The team, you know, at the stage that we invest at and at the stage that most VCs invest at, we are really investing in a, we're really investing in a person, right? Or in a team um, and in a group of people who are gonna bring a vision to life, right? And that's very much in our thesis. We're a very founder focused fund. Um, so it's really about knowing what has this person done in the past that make them the right person to solve this problem? Do they have an inherent understanding of the pain points um, in the industry that, they, that they're sort of addressing? And also do they have the right temperament? Um, like, you know, are they coachable? Um, and, you know, are they able to sort of scale this business into a problem, a, a company that solves a problem for a lot of people, right? So that's sort of the first framework. And I know it's tough to figure that out um, on the first call, whether or not someone's coachable. And, you know, people are always trying to be the best version of themselves. But you'll trust, just as we know VCs have a reputation in the market, and you guys do reference checks on us. Trust us, if we're interested in you, we'll have spoken to um, maybe everyone except your, your parents to find out like, you know, the type of person you are. So it's really like, that's really the fundamental um, thing we look at is the team um, and at different levels. The second thing we look at is, is this solving a problem for a lot of people? So is this really, you know, um, addressing the critical mass in emerging markets and specifically the markets we focus in, which is Middle East and Africa? And, you know, like, is this something that's scalable cross borders is really, you know, part of that question. So it's really about looking at the problem and, and, you know, are you addressing this problem in a way that it can scale across borders, right? And so that kind of brings us to the to the third point, which is sort of the product you're building to address the problem, right? And, you know, this is fundamentally product market fit. Have they figured out how to build something that is able to scale across borders that is actually addressing the problem in a smart way that's disruptive? Um, and disrupting, I guess, in an intelligent way is probably more important um, and a way that, you know, makes sense. Um, and, and once again, this is one of the ones that it's probably tough for us to figure out in, the, in a 30 to 45 minute call. But we usually have theses on, you know, the different verticals that we, we, we sort of focus on, whether that's digital health, ed tech or fintech, when we have sort of large large ideas, I guess, on a macro level of the key issues across our geographies. And we'll be able to see like whether or not the product that you're building is solving for those um, solving for those um, problems. The third, oh, sorry, the fourth is sort of competitive edge and barriers to entry. It's figuring out who else is in the space. How well acquainted are you with the space? How um, aware are you of what your competitors are doing? Because that's one of the other benefits of VCs is we're usually able to speak to a wide breadth of companies and, and have a good sense of what's going on in the market. Um, and, and, and usually given, you know, uh, how few companies or not how few companies, there's not that many companies that reach the series A stage, um, in each vertical that we're looking at. So it's a bit easier to weed out and we do at least know generally, um, you know, who's operating in the space. Um, and so, yeah, so figuring out like, you know, how, who else is the competition in the market? What are the moats around your product that sort of makes you, um, the, the winner? And then also 
partly we'll, we'll probably ask you questions of, is this a winner takes all market or is this something where, you know, one person becomes a winner and why are you best positioned to be that winner, right? And the last one, which is one that I think that had or had sort of less weighting, but it's still really important is exit pathing. And for us, that's really just understanding like, you know, how, you know, we're investors, we have a short term uh, period um, in which we have to sort of return funds to um, our partners. And, and while we trust and know you guys are building businesses that are sort of supposed to like outlive us as investors, we just want to, um, we just want to understand whether or not you know um, what it means to have investors on board and how, how that capital might differ from some of the other sources you have access to, right? So it's, it's, it's just generally sort of understanding sort of the commercial viability of your business, like, you know, um, and, you know, if we partner with you, sort of where our capital ends up. But I said, this is like less important. And the earlier the company, the, the less important it is. It's more just throwing it out there. And it's one of the things we internally consider uh, when we're evaluating startups. So I think that's a helpful way um, you know, for, for entrepreneurs to, to consider how investors look at their companies. Awesome, thank you so much. Um, I really do hope um, everyone in the audience has that. Um, so my next question will be to Harriet, from your experience, Harriet, and while looking and analyzing, um, looking, analyzing and researching companies, what red flags do you notice in companies? What are those red flags that tick you off as an investor? Oh. That's an interesting one. So uh, I, I do I do get to see a lot of companies and, and for the stage that we would play, which is early stage, sort of yeah, seed, seed um, to C to series A, we get a lot of deal flow of, of companies that are really early. And um, I think that um, a lot of the time, but if the introduction doesn't come from um, someone that we know, right, or even if it does come from someone that we know, the first thing that we will ask for is a deck. And I think that is the one place that entrepreneurs, you know, unknowingly shoot themselves in the foot because a lot, a lot of times there are so many um, um, mistakes that you could make on the deck, right? If, if it's too wordy or you have mistakes in your deck or the vision is not communicated well, um, these are all things that could make, make your company deprioritize, right? Uh, 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 because again, we are looking at a very, like a large number of, of, of companies at every point in time. So I think that as an early stage founder, you know, pre-seed seed, um, is, is when you need to like invest the time um, and resources in building a really good pitch deck, right? I'm sure there are a lot of resources out there that, uh, uh, speak to how to build a good one, um, and you can you can learn from that. But essentially, you you want your deck to communicate a the vision because at the stage you are, um, you probably don't have a lot of traction. So you want to communicate the vision. You want to emphasize on why you are the best team. You want to emphasize the market opportunity, um, um, and then you know you want to give a lot of context around how the skills. So uh, most times, I feel like. Uh, pitch decks get do not get enough attention, and then the second thing is when uh, founders get on the call, right? So if I do look at a pitch deck, I get into contact with you, we schedule a call. Uh, there are a lot of things that could go wrong in the first, you know, meetings. You probably just have like an hour uh, with the investor, and in that hour, we just go to like as 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 Sasha said, get a feel for the company and, and see, run into a similar framework. Um, what's the 
team, what are they doing? Uh, why are they qualified to do this? Uh, what's the market? What's the opportunity? How big is this? What is the competitive landscape? And what is the product? How are they um, creating, delivering, and capturing value? So typically, you'll come on a call with a set of questions. And a lot of some founders won't let you talk because they want to tell you everything. I feel like um, that sometimes uh, uh, prevents the investor from asking the questions that they want to ask to drive towards a decision. So maybe a tip is just like, uh, don't like let the investor ask their questions and try to be as precise and concise with your answers as possible. Because a lot of the times when you end up having two hour, you cannot have two hour calls with every single company on the first, on the first day. Uh, um, that's another very common mistake that I think some entrepreneurs make. Um, and then the last thing is around investor, investor relations, because Again, we see a lot of deal flow. We may not be able to invest in every single one of those companies. I think that an art, which is really critical for investors early on, is to, is to learn how to manage investor relations, right? Because trust me, I'm not going to raise just one round. You'll probably raise a couple of others. And so even if an investor ends up not investing in your current round, they probably will do the next one, depending on your relationship with them they probably would introduce you to another investor that might be a better fit. So a lot of times it's not personal. Like if I don't end up investing in your company, it's not personal. It's just not a fit for my, my fund. Might be for someone else. I'm not saying your idea, I'm not saying your business will not scale. I'm not saying it's a bad business. I'm just saying it's not a good fit for me, right? Um, and as I've had experiences where some founders take it really personally and like don't want to talk to you again, even if you're offering to do, do their rounds at a later stage. So investor relations is something that uh, founders can also start learning very early on as they, as they you know, uh, 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 um, start businesses. And this ties back into our conversation around networks. Like you want to build a, as a founder, a network of investors and, and generally people that are going to help you on your journey. And for, unfortunately, or fortunately, uh, visas are going to be a big part of it. So every visa you talk to, whether they invest or not, try and strike some kind of relation, learn from them. Um, and just if you have like general updates, keep them on it because you really never know. They might end up being the lead for your next round. Thank you so much. I think I think I'm going to write all of that down and keep it. So when I need to start raising funds, <laughs> I have this nuggets. Thank you so much, Harriet. So um, Nina, do you mind telling us from your experience how you find great startups within the ecosystem? So we know that in the VC space, startups come to us. We also go to startups. So how do you look for these startups in the ecosystems? Yeah. That's a, that's a really good question. I think for us, you know, like I mentioned, we're a small team. It's the two of us and we're trying to get the most leverage possible out of the limited time we have. Um, I think people talked earlier about how busy we are every single day. And what we do ultimately, we try and leverage our network of founders as much as we can. If, you know, if I were to boil down the way we operate to kind of to one, one core element, it's that we focus obsessively around the, the founders we have in our portfolio. And so most of our deal flow ends up coming through our founders because they're the most plugged into their ecosystem, right? You know, we have some founders who are in Egypt and, you know, we're based in Cape Town. That's far, far, far from Cairo. But we have founders who, you know, they'll say, you know, I know a friend who's now starting something, you know, very, very early stage, they're only six months in, but, you know, you should have a look at them. And maybe to give you an example of how that's panned out for us, a few weeks ago, we, um, we hopped on the phone with a founder that George had first met um, five years ago. 
And they had first met when the founders building something completely different. They were printing t-shirts um, out of, um, just, out of, just outside of Lagos. And this founder hit George up and said, hey, I'm starting a new venture. Um, do you guys wanna take a look? We hopped on the phone for an hour. He gave us a demo of, the, um, of what he built from kind of inception of the idea to the product as it was kind of fully live, money flowing through it had taken him eight weeks. And essentially immediately after the phone call, we looked at each other and said, you know, we know this guy, we know what he's built in the past and we trust him, that's him best. And it was kind of a snap decision like that. And part of that has to do with the fact that at Raba, we invest very, very early stage. And so for, I think a disproportionate amount of it for us is really about the founder themselves. And so, you know, in that context, it's really kind of having connectivity with founders over the long period and also having founders introduce us to their own network. Um, it would be impossible for us to try and, you know, mine the entire field of potential opportunities on our own independently. Got it. So more like we, should, we as founders, we always need to be friends with ourselves because it might just be introduced by that friend you made and you might be introduced to the best investor ever. So, okay. So the last question will be for Chidima, right? We know that the women-led startups are underfunded and over-mentored, right? How can more women access venture capital? And if you look at our environment, you'd see that this is quite applicable, especially within Africa. We have a lot of um, women-led startups that are actually being underfunded, but, you know, uh, over-mentored. So how do you think, you know, women can access more venture capital? Um, I think it's a, a kind of like two-prong. So one way is to really do a female-focused fund, right? Um, really kind of like, I hate to say it, it seems a little bit... Um, like discriminatory <laughs> to our male counterparts, but but that is not the, the the aim of it, right? I think there is a study that has shown that when women feel that they are competing head to head with men, they all they automatically feel that they are competing from a lesser position uh, than their male counterparts. Um, so sometimes it's actually in it prohibits them from, from either applying to that specific position or from you know, going after the, that funding that they want. So in order for us to actually make the effort to make sure that females are, are being supported at the onset, um, it, it's, it's very important for us to kind of take some deliberate acts. And one of that is, one of those acts would be to to essentially um, create female-focused kind of agendas. Um, and we've seen like within Lagos uh, uh, alone and within this ecosystem, we've now seen uh, a lot of women that are starting female-focused funds. Um, so First Check is one of those. Um, we've now seen you know, females that are fund managers that have declined to provide capital to men uh, because they only have a male focused kind of like team. There is no female on the team at all, even on the advisory side. So we've, we're seeing those, those types of things happen. Um, so that's one way that, that we can do things that help females get uh, additional access to capital. Um, the second way to be honest is on us as individuals, um, as females, we should demand our, our seat at the table. Uh, I think a lot of times we're always 
waiting to be invited. And, um, you know, nothing in life came easy. You know, it, it just isn't, life is very difficult. You've got to kind of like, sometimes you gotta bulldoze your way through it, you know? <laughs> and sometimes you just really need to just champion for yourself and, and go for what you want, um, which means, you know, we, for instance, Microtraction, we're, we're a open application fund, right? Um, so you can apply, we're accessible to everyone. Uh, you can apply to, 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 uh, to us and we will look at, we look at all over a thousand applications every year. So I think that we, and from that, I have seen that we have um, about, I think it was like, like 10 to 13% of the applicants that we get through our applications are female, have female founders on them. So, so it's not from a lack of um, trying. I would say that, you know, we've, we've made some efforts to have females um, you feel more comfortable applying, but it, there's also something, I think there has to be, um, the onus has to be on us as females to know what the resources are within your particular market, to go out there and grab it, right? Um, don't wait to be for someone else to champion for you, champion for yourself, go out there and grab that capital, get the right, you know, like the get the right team in place, et cetera, et cetera, whatever you need to do. I think it's important that we feel comfortable actually advocating for ourselves and not waiting for someone else to to make a way for us um so that's that's a second way in my opinion that that we can kind of like turn this this tide around but like harriet mentioned it you see the tide turning and you're seeing more and more female investors in this space you're seeing you're seeing more and more female founders as well like compared to like three years ago trust me the the landscape was very different so we're seeing that change, the tide is changing. And just like when, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago when I was in school, I was a, 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 as a female, as a minority. Today, females make up more than, are a majority of people that go to college, right? It's just about the door opening up and it's about us kind of like having these conversations and, and making sure that information is being passed to everyone equally um, so that that access to information access to capital etc cetera, etc cetera, is actually quite gender neutral like that it's not because you are a female you don't you know know you don't have the same information as your male counterparts you don't have the same access as your male counterparts those are the key things that we need to do to change and with that guys please don't be upset with me 608 i have to run as i said earlier um this has been amazing i wish i could really stay longer um i'm so proud to have been kind of like involved in this conversations i know harriet and this is my chance to meet sasha and nina and you guys are amazing and i'm hoping um dami you can maybe connect us uh because i know there's um i definitely know we can work together right um and i also would love to kind of build this ecosystem of strong strong females within the venture capital space. So definitely I'm um, happy that I was able to join even if it was for a short while. Thank you so much, Shirima, for your time. We won't take so much of your time again, so we'll let you go. Um, we'll, we'll connect after, after the discussion and I'll send an email connecting everyone. Thank you so much, Shirima. All right, bye. Okay, so 
on to our next session, which happens to be the last one. Don't worry, I won't take much of your time again because I don't want any other person dropping off. Um, I just want to back in women-led businesses or startups. So what do women need to do to structure their businesses? Like what advice? Now we're going to the advice section. So how are we going to advise women to structure their businesses so that they can be better backed by venture capital? Um, so I'll be starting with Harriet on this one. So um, if you could tell us how, you know, tell us more about how women can structure their companies for potential VCs to invest in them. Yeah, I think that um, this is this is uh, more like generally uh, uh, to, to to every entrepreneur. Um, and I, for, from where I sit, right, I've seen, I think Chidima mentioned, right, it, it's not like the lack of trying, right, the access is there, but even as an early stage investor, the, the supply side, like, you just don't see enough deals coming from women, right, and I, I attribute that to more structural problems and, and maybe some societal and stereotypical uh, um, reasons. But in terms of how you can structure your business to attract um, venture capital, what I would say is that uh, when it comes to venture capital, it is a very unique capital uh, um, source of funding, right? Uh, a lot of venture capitalists are looking to invest um, at, at, a, at the stage of a company where there is high risk, but also because they want to get high returns. And so you're looking at companies at a very early stage, zero traction, and you're back in the team with the hopes of maybe 10x in your money at, at exit, and maybe like we yeah, are looking like four to five years or six to seven years um, at, at most. And so, with this type of structure, um, it is natural that not a, a lot of companies can fit in this structure, or not a lot of business models will be able to fit in this structure. And you hear VCs going about scale and scale and scale, because it's a very important thing in, in the way that the venture capital fund and return profile is structured. Now that said, um, there are a few things that uh, uh, we've already talked about in terms of what VCs look out for in companies. If you're an entrepreneur and if you're a woman, um, and you're building a, a startup and you're looking for VC funding, you have to make sure that like, first of all, you need to decide if venture capital funding is the right capital partner for this type of business. Because not every business is backable by VC money, right? Um, if you are not looking, if your company cannot scale in the terms that the venture capitalist is looking for, uh, 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 it, in a very short period of time. So that is what that is like my biggest advice to a lot of entrepreneurs, especially women. You need to decide if your business is venture capital backable, right? And the framework I just laid out is, is some is one way to go about making that decision. Now, after you've decided that it is, the rest is like you need to make sure that you are building um, a really good team. You need to ensure that it's it's not like if you're building a business that's going to be around for a very long time, you are building a team that can carry the business through multiple generations, right? So you're looking out for, even at the early stage, attracting like the top talent, filling out senior roles, um, getting an advisory board, you know, giving up some equity in the beginning just to get the right talent in to make sure that your vision will be met. 
Um, you are look. You also want to make sure that you're operating. If you're in the market, you're operating in is a winner takes all market. You need to make sure that you are scaling quickly and you are building like modes around your business, be it regulatory from a product perspective, or if it's just by scale, right? You are doing that to ensure that you are winning the market and you are actually capturing the value you are creating. So not just scaling for scaling sake, but you are actually able to get some of that value in return uh, as revenues. Because at the end of the day, everybody on the team, from investors to employees to yourself, we are all playing for cash flows, right? So that, that is sort of the framework I'll lay out. And then I read this again, um, VC money is not for every type of business. It, 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 it's, it's, it's for uh, businesses that are set to, to grow in a certain way and return a certain uh, 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 profile of, of returns at a certain point in time. So if you're building a business, you need to decide, is this business backable by venture capital before you go in and then, you know, uh, uh, take that kind of money because what resources a lot of the times relationships will get soured because our business is a very social uh, business and once that happens those are things that you just cannot recover so that, that, that's that's what I would say around around um, structuring your business to attract venture capital. Thank you very much um, Harriet that was very insightful so my next question will be open to um, Nina and Sacha right i'd like to know how can women tackle gender related discrimination against them i know we've mentioned before that it's not um it's not as deep as people say it is but it exists right so how do you think women can tackle this better you'd like to go first nina yeah sorry do you want to go first but my line's breaking a little bit oh go ahead go ahead um that's a yeah i'll start how can women tackle gender discrimination when it comes to kind of the VC process? Um, man, I think, I think a lot of it has to do with kind of advocacy and finding people who will help you advocate for yourself, right? Um, you know, when it comes to the fact that if, if we think that a lot of the discrimination that can occur comes from kind of implicit biases or, you know, people not being aware of things, I think it's incredibly helpful to, you know, in addition to advocating for yourself, you know, all the things we talked about in terms of being confident, being assertive, and kind of telling your story for who you are, there's also an important element around kind of, I think, building a tribe around you that includes both women and men who can help you advocate when you're appearing in front of, um, in front of uh, investors. I think one thing that we often do in the early stages is we talked about, you know, when we first evaluated entrepreneurs, we'll do a reference check on everyone in your network. Right? And the stronger your network is, the more that can help you because it's not just you, you know, pitching to an investor or a panel of investors. It's you and kind of your entire panel of backers who will support you, you know, rave about you and provide that kind of, I guess, stamp of certification for people who might otherwise think that you're not as capable as a male counterpart. Um, yeah, I'll pass it over to you now, Sasha. Sure. So I think that I was going to say that I'll, I'll backtrack and say there definitely is um, there definitely is a bias. And we've obviously seen that in how how people get funded. And we've uh, I mean, I'll speak for myself, at least I've definitely been victim to bias on the other side of the table as well. Um, and I think that that, you know, at some point, even I'm an, I'm an extremely confident person. And at some point, even confidence doesn't pay off when you're sitting opposite someone who just doesn't uh, see you as credible and doesn't see you as the most senior or most important person in the room, right? 
So I think that, you know, my advice would be, I guess it's like sort of sort of similar to what Nina was saying was like, look for people who look a bit like you to start and target your investors as people who are going to understand your story, right? Um, one of the interesting things that we've seen um, come out, you know, as we've been looking at, at, you know, various sectors is like, for example, like, you know, ed tech businesses are tough for people who don't have kids. Right. Similarly, like if you're a, a female founder, try and speak to an audience um, who's going to understand your story and champion it and, you know, will give you the confidence to then go on and do pitches in front of other investors. And I say that, you know, knowing that obviously the, the, the funding landscape is still also very dry when it comes to sort of, you know, female investors. But I think it's always a good place to start. And you'll see just even we've seen in this sort of um, small forum here that they, you know, female investors are a lot more invested in you succeeding and we'll give feedback to you sort of on the back end of that. So I'll say that a lot of the time with female founders, I'll give them feedback right off the back of their pitch and say, you know what, I think you should speak to this person or I think that you could have positioned this a little bit differently. Um, but but you know what, I think it's really important that you know we, we, we continue to take the onus off female founders and, and put it onto ourselves a little bit more as investors. So I, I think in, in most situations, female founders are doing the best that they can and it's really, you know, us as funders that do have to take responsibility for, for being, you know, a bit more selective um, and a bit more supportive to females, you know, as they as they are on their entrepreneurial journey. Um, so I just had to put that disclaimer out there before, because like you, you guys are, you are, are normally doing the best you can. Oh, I think she froze. Thank you so much for all your help. I'm sure in our audience now have um, what to fall back on, information to work with, you know, when becoming founders, because I, I expect to have more founders now. Thank you so much, ladies, for the beautiful time. Thank you for listening to that Invest in the Future episode. Please follow us on social media. Our handle is at an African future on all platforms. You can join Future Africa to co-invest in these innovators who are turning Africa's biggest challenges into global business opportunities by joining the Future Africa Collective, our exclusive community of co-investors. Please find more information and apply at future.africa forward slash collective. Thank you for listening once again.